My name is Rachel Gans, and you're listening to Walk Left, the podcast. And I'm Marty Jadorik. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Rachel. Hi. I am very excited to talk with you about the uh, Fringe show you've got in the 2013 Toronto Fringe. Teach me. Teach me. But before we get into that, I'd like to talk a little bit about Newborn Theater. Tell me a bit about your company. It was founded April 2012, so it's just over a year old. And it was founded for the purposes of producing works written by young playwrights, which we qualify as anyone under 30, which might change. But for the, for the moment, that's what it is. And we have a festival that our annual festival, which is in its second annual production at the moment, called the Odds and Ends Festival, which premieres the works of young playwrights from across the continent. Last year, we had 13 plays, and we were at the Tarragon Extra Space. This year, we have five plays, and we're at Unit 102. So that's really our main production. Plasterface, which was my show in Odds and Ends, which is a 40-minute one-woman show that I perform. We were going to do that in Fringe, and when we got into the Fringe, which I didn't think I'd get into because I've applied how many times like everyone else, right? And I just, now I'm just like, why not? Here's your $22, whatever it is, and sure, I'm not going to get in. We got in, and our production manager and our managing director at Newborn Theater said, well, what show are we doing? And I said, Blaster Face. And he said, that's not long enough. And I said, and I can't, like, it's a one-room show. If I go any longer with this show, people are going to leave. Like, it's one of those, you know? <laughs> And I didn't want, you know, it was kind of cliche, one was show. I mean, I just, so uh, I wrote another show. And um, I'd already have, Teach Me came from two of my good friends who, they're actresses. Jessica was a director in Odds and Ends. And then she assistant directed our October show, which went up right after Odds and Ends. So she was, she's been with me since the summer. Mara, her best friend, was our lead actress in this October show. And we were working together and we became good friends and they sort of precociously asked me to write a show for them because they're best friends and they want to be on stage together. And I said, no. And then I, <laughs> <laughs> and then I went for a walk and I just hung out with them and something, ha and something happened. I think they're really, in they inspire me a lot. They're like little muses. And so I was able to write a show while going on this walk, come home and kind of spit it out and said to them, next year, odds and ends, we'll put up this 25 minute, whatever this is. And then we extended it for the, it's kind of a fringy show because it's got this like sexual edgy thing to it uh, more so than maybe odds and ends that has and it's odds and ends is really for new playwrights we want to have new playwrights every year not the artistic director of the company producing her show in a festival that she just made up because she wanted to see her work done which happens which is awesome but <laughs> no really because it's awesome right yeah but why not move it over to fringe if we have another venue and then I went crazy trying to fit in this third character to have a second act to the show. But it worked out well, and I don't have to have a show on my own festival now. So the writer part of me for the festival is gone. Nix that role. Don't need to act in the festival. Nix that role. Stage manager probably will have to step in at one point or another, but, which is funny because I'm a horrible stage manager. <laughs> um, but for now, I'm just the producer, which is nice. Tell me more about the, um, the idea that inspired you when you were out walking and what you ended up spitting back out and, and sort of the process of how that became what people are going to see in July. I knew I'd just been out with um, a friend of mine and her boyfriend. She's a teacher in Vancouver. And we were talking about the ethics and the ethical code that comes along with being a teacher. Sort of expected to be a superhuman because you work with young people. 
and she told us a story of a, a teacher who, I don't know where, a case study she learned in, in teacher's college. He masturbated at a red light and got caught and then got his teacher's license revoked. So I was like, that's awesome uh, for so many reasons. Like, you know, because here's just a guy, if he was just a guy masturbating at a red light, he'd get ticketed. But because he's a teacher, he gets his profession taken away. And that really, for me, got a lot of wheels turning. And so I think that partnered with these two girls. And they're, they have this flippant way of speaking. And it, it's really funny. And it, it, particularly because they could talk about anything and you would think they're talking about their shoes. It, so somehow that all happened in one weekend, me hanging out with them and hearing this story. And it just kind of came into uh, a show, a one act. So you wrote it for their voices as people. Exactly. Okay. So they're these two best friends in detention and they just witness their teacher masturbating in his car and they videotape it. And the question becomes, based on their sexual histories, these two girls, um, what do they do with the tape? And for me, it's a, it's a total exploration, like of, of, it became an exploration of what perversion meant to these two young girls. So what it meant to watch a sexual act based on the sex they've already had as, as 16 year olds or not had in Lauren's case. And Stacy happens to be more sexual. So there were these two sort of polarizing uh, characters on stage who happen to be best friends, probably because they're polarizing personalities, but then came across this one thing that sets them the most apart, this sort of sexual whatever mystery pool of what happens when people have sex. And I think it's also that you don't know as a 16-year-old girl what it looks like for a man to jerk off. It crosses my mind, or it crossed my mind, that porn to a young girl is not something you really watch other than just clicking on it and being like, ooh, that's gross. Maybe for an exploratory thing. It's not really something you watch. So watching a guy jerk off is totally new. And what would that do to them uh, at, at age 16? And that was a good conversation, I think. As a play, it was, it was a kind of a nice conversation. I threw in some twists and turns and things that would make it more interesting, but I don't know that it was a complete play until we brought in the teacher. Now in the second act, he walks in, or second half of the play. And then there's this huge power struggle between these two girls who've just caught him in this act and this teacher who is not only a teacher, but he's a man and he, there's a lot to it that I think puts him in the corner but he seems to keep fighting out of it. And I, for me, what I really hope, what I've hoped to accomplish in the process is as a playwright feeling really bad for this guy, despite the fact that he's kind of gross. Or is he gross? I don't really know. He masturbated. Like, is that so gross? I don't know. The question I think is, why did he do it in his car? And did he know the girls were there? And did he do it for the girl? I mean, there's all these layers that make it kind of gross to think about. But as a playwright, it was a lot of fun to have him defend that. And to find ways for him to be like, look, I'm an ordinary guy. Like, I just come here every day and teach young girls math. And at the end of the day, like, I, I, I don't know really what to do with myself. I'm not a guy. So I think that might turn off a lot of guys. <laughs> like, my, my perception of how maybe all men walk around with hard-ons, like, I don't know. Um, so I think it was difficult to write from a female's perspective, this guy who, in his mind, didn't really do anything wrong even though in whatever land in that case study, so-and-so got his teacher's license revoked for doing it away from the school at a red light. So obviously there's some wrong to it. Uh, it's certainly against the law, but I'm not sure why. Like, 
what has the process been the artistic director but being sort of the playwright are you there in the room with them rehearsing have you been developing the script through this process as well we had a very generous and wonderful workshop period of three months where for every week the actors would come in and read the show and Tori who's a director dramaturge would give me notes and then I'd come up with a new draft the next week so now we're at draft 10 so I've done about a year's worth of work in three months which is great because I had the resources to do it, because I had these actors coming in every week to help me. And then we had a reading, and then we jumped into production. I don't really change anything now. I cut things here and there. Sometimes Tori will ask me a question, but more or less because we worked on it, she kind of just goes with what she collected in that workshop period. Which so you've had the director on board from the beginning, from the beginning of that yeah. period as well. Yeah. So... I think towards the end especially it becomes a very physical show and I think the trouble is because that's not dialogue figuring out how to do that so it's safe and believable but it's also has the same integrity that the script asks for in those moments so I think that if anything are, is what we're playing with the most uh, but in terms of what's said and, and why I mean we worked on it so hard together that nothing now I don't think anything can really change much other than line cuts that are just stupid. <laughs> that right. stupid line. Well, yeah, as you like melt it down to its necessary parts yeah. and whatever. I hate being in rehearsals though. Not not for the show in particular, just in general. As I cause I come from an acting background and I, I know that it takes you a while to really ground yourself in the script. And so as a playwright, whenever I'm sitting in a rehearsal and they don't know their lines or and I know every period written in the script, it's like little daggers hitting me every time they can't help but not know their line perfect. I mean, what are they gonna do shows in three weeks they're not going to be perfect on every punctuation mark but i think it should be <laughs> in my head wouldn't have written it that way but i didn't think it should be but so i don't really like being in rehearsals i'll come in for a half hour maybe if i have to and i'll sneak in as a producer to be like oh you're doing your job great but other than that i i really like to stay out of it just because the end result is always way better than as a, as a writer than what i witness them struggling with and they always ask questions like, I'm not in the room. Maybe the, and this is, again, not just this show. It's, it's all shows where people sort of think, well, what did she mean when I'm like, I'm here? <laughs> so I don't, but I don't necessarily want them to ask me in it. If they, it's hard being a new playwright, right? They're not working on Tennessee Williams. You can't ask him questions. So it's sort of that awkward struggle when there's a new playwright in the room. And sometimes I speak up. If it really is getting to a point where it's, it's changing what I wrote, just in terms of the blocking or anything like that, but I don't really have to most of the time. Do you come at playwriting from a place of curiosity usually uh, and sort of flesh out these ideas? Or would you say that all of these voices are already sort of in your head and you let them fight it out on stage? Or tell me a bit about your process that way with characterizations. I usually, it's interesting because each play starts with a scene, so I never really know what the play's about. I think it was Harold Pinter. Harold Pinter says, I just write someone sitting at a table, and you can tell this by his shows, you just write someone sitting at a table, and then someone else walks in, and all of a sudden there's two people. So like, you kind of, it's sort of the spontaneity of the scene, and then, uh, then things, I guess, somewhere that are somewhere residing in my head, like the story about teacher masturbating or something Jessica, the actress, said earlier, will come into the scene, and that's how the story develops. But at one point or another, I think the story is flushed out, 
by discovering each character individually. What I did for this show was I have a journal for each character. So one day I wrote the show from Lauren's perspective and I journaled as I did it as Lauren. And the next day I wrote from Stacy's perspective, same draft, it looked almost exactly the same, but I journaled as I did it. And then I can figure out why they're saying what they're saying. A lot of playwrights will say that there are voices in their head that they hear. And I don't know if that, that could be what it is. I don't know that I'm sitting around and they're all chatting in my head, but when I sit down to write, they certainly have something to say. So the only way that I could see this show in particular, because it's so foreign from my world. I don't, this has never happened to me. I didn't, until recently, didn't even know where it was coming from. Like what, what personal connection I had to this? No idea. I just thought it was interesting, which to answer your question. So that was just a question. How does this happen and why? But the more you develop these characters, I think, with those journaling or however people do it, the more I do it, the more of, of me gets put into the show. Because I, even if it's not my opinion, I've thought about it. I came up with it. It's my imagination. I don't, I see the validity in each of these arguments. I agree with each character. So the question never gets answered, which is really frustrating. <laughs> You know, it's really sort of, that's really a conflict for me. Because at the end of the day, I don't know. Any, I just don't know any more than I did when I started. But it certainly starts with a with a point of interest and a, yeah, a how and a why. And then, or it seems to. And then the more I discover these characters, the more I like, feel, feel really attached to each and every one of them. And I, I don't have any answers to these questions. And I think that the common misunderstanding of a of, of writer is that I'm trying to teach you a lesson or tell you what I think but I don't know any better than anyone in the audience who's right here and I if I did it would be a, in my opinion a terrible play because it would just be one character with some on some kind of soapbox telling you how it is I don't know how it is and if I'd ever attempted to write a play like that I'm not saying I haven't I don't even know if I have probably was something I scrapped because it was just my opinion in that moment and I just had to write it down didn't work you know what I, mean? <laughs> I think it's much more interesting to have a question and to have some sort of journey towards finding an answer and then all of a sudden discovering that there probably isn't one in the Georgia Gnadia well it's huge it's a big space it is but I like the shape of the stage you have that like three-sided I don't even know what it's called but it has you know and I I don't really write well, maybe that's too broad of a statement, but I haven't written for big spaces because I like black box theaters and I like that kind of your feet are in the room feeling. But I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I just think it, there's a lot of movement, like I said, at the end of it, and I think it gives a lot of, a lot more, and Tori's done this too with her directing, just a lot more potential to the piece than I ever understood there could be. I had a piece up at Hard House called Rhyme Reason or otherwise, and Jeremy Hutton directed it. And I don't really love the piece. I just wrote it 15 times. I should stop writing it because it's terrible, and I just think it's a bad play. But Jeremy didn't. <laughs> and uh, he did an incredible job, and he added all these elements to it. And I told him, I think the production is way better than the script. And I think putting it in a space, putting Teach Me in a space like the George Ignatieff, uh, with someone like Tori who comes from a classical background, right, which is totally different than me. I'm, I'm all about contemporary American playwrights. And so I can't believe the 
it's fancy. It's like a fancy play now. And I, <laughs> before it was this rugged, raw thing that you, things happen in front of you and you want to cry because you're too close to them. And now it's this fancy, magical space, like, you know, it's a spectacle. And I just didn't understand that that could happen. So I'm really excited about America because it's huge. I think it's this incredible story about this, this girl who, Stacy, who, um, has lost already because she has this weird sexual history of you'll find it when you see the show I guess but like you know she's already been wronged a bunch I should say so I could say so for me it's it's really her story and the way we uh, follow her through winning in the end like trying to win in the end even though we know she won't it's one of those someone Sheldon Rosen dramaturged a show of mine recently called Benji Boy and he said so there's no real winning in this play, like, there's, everyone kind of has to lose. There's no good situ, like, there's no best case scenario. Best case scenario is not great. So now I'm trying to write a show, which is the same with teaching. There's no happy ending. There just can't be. And you kind of know that. Except the, for the teacher in the car. Teacher in the car. <laughs> he, he, he had himself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Yeah, so I just you know what it was it was gonna happen eventually. I was gonna make a rough joke, masturbatory jokes, masturbatory humor. Yeah, it has to happen. This way, teacher jerks off in car and gets caught. Like that sounds amazingly funny. It's not a funny play. (laughs) Not a funny play. (laughs) Yeah. Teach me part of the 2013 Toronto Fringe Festival. Rachel, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you have an upcoming Toronto-based performing arts project or production, I want to talk to you about it. Visit walkleft.ca. I know. As much as this is awesome, I'm like... You didn't think I'd be this cool, is the issue. (laughs) (laughs) What's happening here? (laughs)